You know, real assets create wealth. And this is the lesson of the wealthiest families of the world. And I'm not talking about, you know, new money. I'm talking about generational wealth, like in Europe, where you've had, you know, uh, families who've, who've been wealthy for a thousand years. They don't hold on to generational wealth by investing in stocks, bonds, and mutual funds. They own tangible assets. Welcome to Investing in the U.S., an Aussie's Guide to U.S. Real Estate, a podcast for international investors and real estate entrepreneurs looking to break into the U.S. market. G'day, g'day, guys, and welcome to another cracking edition of Investing in the U.S., an Aussie's Guide to U.S. Real Estate, the number one podcast geared towards helping international investors break into the U.S. market and start buying cash-flowing deals. From Los Angeles, I'm your host, Reed Goosens. Good as always to have you with us on the show. Now, as you know, this show is all about educating my loyal listeners, you guys, about the benefits of investing in U.S. cash-flowing real estate. Now, if you want to join the community of our cracking entrepreneurs, then subscribe to this podcast. We're on SoundCloud, we're on Stitcher, we're on iTunes, wherever you podcast, we will be. Um, now, if you leave a comment on iTunes, in return, I will share with you my brand spanking new ebook, which is hot off the press. All you have to do is shoot me a screenshot of your comment and email me at info at rsnpropertygroup.com. And in return, I'll shoot you back my new ebook, which is a summary of the way that how do you start raising capital like a pro. It's titled The Art and Science of Raising Capital Like a Pro, The 4P Rule. Now, I coined this 4P rule, which means professionalism, pitch, practice, and patience. And it is a way that I want to walk you all through the techniques that I've developed that have start helped me raising capital over the last couple of years. Um, so if you want a copy, jump on iTunes, leave me a comment, shoot me an email at info at rsmpropertygroup.com, and then I'll flick you back the uh, the new brand spanking new ebook. And remember, if you have any comments about today's show, you can tweet at me, at Reed Goosens, R-E-E-D-G-O-O-S-S-E-N-S. Okay, enough out of me. Let's get cracking and into today's show. Today, the entrepreneur on the hot seat is Buck Joffrey. Buck is an accomplished physician, entrepreneur, asset manager, and a podcast host for the Wealth Formula podcast. After finishing his medicine degree training in 2008, Buck has a tremendous success in the startup business, creating an eight-figure net worth over an extremely short period of time. In order to help his other highly paid colleagues, he started the financial education website called wealthformula.com and hosts the popular Web Wealth Formula podcast. Buck is a serial entrepreneur and he knows the mantra of investing in stocks and bonds is completely outdated given the current global economy. Therefore, like us on this show, Buck is a huge advocate of investing in hard assets that produce cash flow to create long-term wealth. G'day, Buck. Welcome to the show. How are you doing today, mate? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me, Reed. My pleasure. Well, mate, before we dive into the nuts and bolts of today's show, do you want to elaborate a little bit more on your background and how you became involved in real estate investing and left your you know, highly paid job as a physician? Yeah, you know, actually, I didn't leave uh, on my own. <laughs> I didn't leave. I got fired. So, <laughs> you know, I got fired and and it was probably the best thing that ever happened to me. You know, there's, an, there's, a, there's a word, the Chinese word for crisis actually is the same word for opportunity. And in my view, that's exactly what happened to me. So here's the story. My first job out of was with a big national company doing some cosmetic surgery. 
and I was out in California and I was probably the, you know, it was a national company. It was probably, you know, probably the best surgeon they had. I mean, in terms of results, outcomes, you know, revisions, anything, you name it, you know, they loved me for that. But in, you know, in short, I didn't really like being told what to do. You know, I, I felt like I was taking orders from people who weren't frankly as smart as me. Uh, and you know, you can see this is my egos coming out. Right. But I have to tell you that that's how who, you know, who had no idea what they were talking about. And, um, and of course, in retrospect, you know, like I mentioned, this was all about a huge ego. And, uh, and frankly, um, you know, I, I was just, and I've realized that I'm unemployable as many entrepreneurs are. So, so if I was unemployable, I need to figure out, you know, how I was going to make a living. And so I, you know, I started my own practice and I ran it like a business. I was sort of fueled at this point after reading um, a Robert Kiyosaki book called uh, The Cashflow Quadrant. But I mean, it didn't drive me into the real estate world at that point. It drove me into the business world. And so after, you know, uh, you know, 18 months after getting fired, you know, I became a self-made millionaire. And, and that was um, in 2009, 2010. And as you know, what was going on uh, with the stock market at that time, uh, I wasn't about to take this money that I was making and stuff it ba back into this market that had just robbed people of all their savings. Um, my, and, and, and what I did have was um, I was lucky. My dad is, a, uh, is and has been a, a, a landlord for about 40 years. And that's, you know, most of, uh, as long as I can remember, I'm 43. And, you know, when, one thing I remember is I hated what he did because the phone was ringing all the time. And um, he was a do-it-yourself guy. And, you know, he was a landlord. He's not an asset manager. And I didn't want to do that. But what I did realize was, hey, this guy made a lot of money, you know. And he came to this country in the 60s uh, from, from India with basically nothing with zero and became, you know, he lived the American dream and he did it on the back of multifamily real estate. And so uh, the biggest thing for me at that point was, listen, you know, I, I did have, I had no fear of multifamily investing. And that was probably the biggest gift he gave me because I didn't learn a thing from him because I avoided it like the plague. But I knew that, you know, that we could make money uh, in, in real estate, that I could make money in real estate. And so that's why I, uh, I started to get into it. Nice, nice. Well, that's firstly that was an incredible story that you got uh, you you got fired for for being not a good employee, and I, I sort of I, I it, that resonates with me because I was a civil engineer for a period of time, and I was definitely that same sort of mindset of I've got more to give, and I not that I did you more than my colleagues, but I just had something else inside me. So so awesome stuff, and awesome that your dad came from all the way from India. Um, being an expat myself, I, I resonate with that as well, and making a successful transition into the United States. Uh, do you follow the cricket at all? Uh, I'd have to. <laughs> I don't, you know, because I was I was born and raised in Minnesota. Sure, and sure. So, <laughs> I grew up playing ice hockey. Actually. Ah, okay. I was going to ask because I could hear a bit of a Canadian twang there, so I, thought, I was going to I was going to assume you're from the northern parts of the right. of the United States. So, Buck, today's show is all about understanding the paradigm shift away from investing in stocks and bonds and into more hard assets. So, can you start at the beginning and maybe elaborate on why you are seeing such a shift away? from these traditional investments, particularly with uh, high paid individuals? Well, you know, I'll be honest, I don't know that I actually see that <laughs> shift occurring right now. I mean, 
most people are still investing in stocks and bonds and mutual funds. You know, what I, I, um, you know, I collectively call garbage. And, you know, the, listen, the, ma the vast majority of professionals who make enough money to invest at all do so primarily through retirement accounts. And, um, you know, that's usually just invested in stocks, bonds, and mutual funds, right? So anyway, listen, my whole mission, and I think for you, uh, guys like you are, are spreading the word, is that we need to divert that money away from, from, from Wall Street and put it back into real assets. Um, you know, I think I, I, so I think that as much as I wish that I saw that as a trend, I don't know if uh, I don't know if it actually is yet, but that's my mission on Wealth Formula podcast. Right. And so what are your with the, to elaborate on that mission? What are you then trying to educate people about in terms of investing in hard assets rather than paper assets? Yeah. So, you know, I think the the thesis for me is that right now it's dangerous you know, to be investing in stocks and bonds, you know, and, 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 and the usual thing. Um, right now, as you know, you know, the stock market's at all-time highs. But why is that? Corporate earnings um, have actually been very mediocre. And the reason that, um, the reason is, frankly, I mean, a big part of it is that uh, interest rates have been zero or near zero for eight years. And that encourages these you know, big public companies to go buy back their own stock with free money. And these kind of corporate buybacks inflate the market. Listen, no one knows when they're in the middle of a bubble, right? Otherwise, there would, no, there would be no such thing as a bubble, right? But right now, we're in a great big stock market bubble, and it has to correct it sometime. And in my view, that's going to happen at any point. So, okay, so, you know, right now, um, you know, what's going to make that bubble pop? Right now, if you look at economic growth in the U.S. over the last eight years. It's been extremely sluggish, you know, despite zero rate, despite uh, printing $4 trillion and, and you know, uh, quadrupling our national debt from 2000 to 2016, you know, going from essentially from $5, five trillion to $20 trillion in, 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 in just over a decade. You know, and, and we've been in, but the other thing is, the ironic thing is that even though things are sluggish, we've been in this expansion mode the entire time. I mean, you know that uh, the typical business cycle recession is going to happen every, you know, 36 months or so. Well, we've been expanding for about eight years now. So if you look, you know, at historical data, the recession could come any day now. And we've never had a, you know, we've never been in a recession in the world, no country has been in a situation where there's been, they've been in the middle of a recession with zero interest rates and um, already tr uh, printing all this money. Because what do you do then? Who knows what do you do then? Because normally when you're in a recession and the interest rates are, it, it, normally you're, when you're in a recession, what, one of the things that you do is you reduce rates, right? It stimulates the economy. So what are we going to do then? So the other thing is, listen, we know... The other thing that could happen here is uh, what happened in 2008, because um, we know that what happened is that the banks got too big. You know, there was that too, too big to fail thing. But what I think a lot of people don't understand is the banks are actually much bigger than they were in 2008. And the, and the banks and the huge hedge funds out there are entangled in a quadrillion dollar derivative market. And, and, and all that is just to say this, is that when you have those kinds of, you know, huge entanglements with huge uh, 
implications for financial markets, uh, it just it just takes a snowflake to create the avalanche. And that's why guys like George Soros, Jim Rogers, I mean, guys who've made billions of dollars on the stock, stock market are all actively shorting it. So if they're actively shorting it, why in the world would you be buying into it? Right. Right. And so we talk about that snowflake for us just for a second, because I think you hit on some two very key points. And that is, you know, interest rates are low and and big companies are buying their own stock at essentially free money. So is it is that snowflake literally increases in, in interest rate and that's going to be the thing that breaks the camel, the camel's back? Well, it could be. Right. I mean, if you look at, um, you know, I mean, this is getting I, I guess this gets um, a little bit technical, but I mean, that's certainly... <laughs> <laughs> I love technical. <laughs> it, it certainly could be. And, and, you know, if you'll just look at interesting, uh, if you look at uh, increasing interest rates, you know, you've got a lot of, you know, sovereign wealth, sovereign debt uh, that might go unpaid, you know. And, and you know, I think there's just, there, there's, um, there's so many different things that could happen. And it just, it just triggers. I mean, in 2008, what was the trigger? The trigger was, well, Lehman Brothers went down. Then it was a huge, uh, you know, there was a huge uh, domino effect. You know, there was a dot-com burst. But before that, even if you go back before that, there was long-term capital management, which had to do with the failing of a hedge fund, you know, back in the late 90s or mid, mid to late 90s. Another situation where basically it was a huge hedge fund that a huge, uh, had a huge problem financially and it almost took down the financial system. The difference here is that, listen, these things happen all the time, right? That's what the whole creature from Jekyll Island story is about, like the cartel and all that, right? And these things happen all the time. The problem is that the system is bigger. It is more complicated than ever. And the one, and, and it's not a political statement at all, but, you know, the Obama administration did nothing to make this uh, to make this a safer financial world during this last eight years. Right, right. Interesting. And so talk to me a little bit about the your shift away from stock investing into hard assets and in specifically into cash flowing assets and why that makes a better investment compared to the stock investments. Well, I've never really believed in stocks um, in the first place. Um, and I think the story goes for me back to Again, my dad being a, a successful real estate guy for many, many years and successful enough that he, you know, he paid for my college, he paid for medical school. I mean, I, I had it easy, honestly. I had it really easy. And, but I remember in, again, back in uh, the dot com era, that my dad, who had who'd essentially lived the American dream, came and, and had all of these multifamily, you know, these apartment buildings, single family homes, you name it. He was, he was a millionaire back in the late nineties. And, um, I remember coming home on a holiday once and and watch, seeing him watch CNBC and watching the ticker. And I was like, what, what are you doing? And he's like, well, you know, I just, you know, I can make more money in a month investing in these tech stocks than I can you know, in a year. You, you know, with, with all these buildings, so I, you know, listen, I had no idea. I had my, my face down in the books. Well, you know, within months there was a frantic call from my, 
from my mom and my dad had lost 80 or 90% of their money in the dot-com boom. They only had a couple of buildings left. They went from having, you know, millions of dollars to, you know, being broke almost. And, um, so that left another indelible mark on me. Of course, you know, it's, you look back and again, I don't think about these things too much because again, by that time I was almost done with med school. Unfortunately, he'd already paid for my last year, <laughs> but, but you know, what, what I realized again, in retrospect was what ha what got this guy in trouble the second he lost his focus, right? So listen, at the end of the, uh, at the end of the day, here's the way I see it. Real assets like real estate don't vanish when the markets crash. Okay. You know, let's look at what, you know, what happened after the day Trump was elected. There was a 10% market correction in the U.S. here, right? And a couple days later, it all came back. The real, you know, I mean, the real assets, real assets don't do that. If you own an apartment building and it throws off monthly rent, it doesn't suddenly shrink or vanish because of a presidential election. You know, real assets create wealth. And this is the lesson of the wealthiest families of the world. And I'm not talking about, you know, new money. I'm talking about generational wealth, like in Europe, where you've had, you know, uh, families who've, who've been wealthy for a thousand years. They don't hold on to generational wealth by investing in stocks, bonds, and mutual funds. They own tangible assets. As I mentioned, I am a, you know, I have a strong, you know, I have a strong bent towards real estate, multifamily real estate primarily apartment buildings that um, I would call working class, but not, um, you know, not D class, uh, looking in secondary and tertiary markets to avoid, you know, to avoid a lot of the institutional money coming in from China and, and so on and so forth. So real estate's a big part of it, but it's not the only thing. I mean, I, I invest in energy, oil and gas alternatives, um, even precious, precious metals. Um, you know, I, I am, um, you know, my show, and what I talk about and what I advocate, you know, real estate's a big part of it. I mean, it's hard to avoid when you're thinking about what makes sense. But on the other hand, it's not the only thing, right? And um, as far as, you know, cash flow over capital gains, which, you know, I, I know I'm preaching to the choir here, right? Well, I think the, you know, I think of this is the analogy I think of. You know, the typical market, uh, equity market investor uh, who's, who is saving up for retirement is basically just trying to fill up a cup of water as much as they can. And then when they retire, they have to take these sips of water carefully and hope that they die of something else rather than of thirst. Right. That to me, it just makes no sense at all. I mean, when I think of investing, I think of not, you know, I don't think of saving you know, I don't think of saving. I think of investing as buying income, right? So to me, investing is ultimately about buying income that can eventually allow you to, if you so choose, quit your job. Right, right. And so talk to me about, I read in your little bio for, the, for this interview today about the breaking out of the golden handcuffs and why people create these golden handcuffs or the high paid worth, uh, particularly people in your world, you know, uh, high, highly paid physicians and how they have need that realization of that aha moment that I can't keep being tied to this really, really great job because this job may not be here, um, you know, in, in years to come if, if, if something happens. Well, 
you know, I think, uh, you know, is the question, are you asking why, why people don't recognize that? Yeah. You know, why, why are we creating this world of, you know, you're a highly paid individual, but yet I know so many highly paid individuals that don't know anything about what they, where they should be placing their money and the education, which you're trying to create with your show, yeah. the real wealth yeah. network. Well, if you think about most, okay. So high paid professionals, what are they usually? They're lawyers, doctors, software engineers, you know, engineers in general, uh, they all have something in common. And that is that, um, you know, they, they did well in school and they, you know, they were, they were taught what they, um, you know, they absorbed and learned what they were taught very, very well. And they had their nose down in the books. And in order to get down, uh, to get the levels of success they did to get those high paid jobs, they were not distracted. I mean, I mean, uh, you know, in medical school, uh, this was a very, very, you know, this, you know, in medical school, I mean, I was studying like eight hours a day, nine hours a day. And, or, you know, and, and being on the wards, you'd be there like all the time. So, so when are you going to sit there and, and learn about, about money? So one of the problems is, of course, um, is just education. And the second problem is that once you finish that education, uh, you are sort of like a person who just won. Uh, you, know, you hear about these people who who win the lottery and lose their money like a year later, right? It's because they they don't know what to do with it. They you know oh yeah I guess you know now I'm making money. I guess I was making nothing and I was broke and all of a sudden somebody's given me you know three four hundred thousand dollars. Now what do I do with it? So at that point I think there's some things that happen. One is that there is an uh, there is that sort of syndrome of new money, you know the Mike Tyson syndrome, uh, where where people start to you know you know they they think about money differently now all of a sudden um, you know you have to keep up with the Joneses you have to buy the you know fancy house in the fancy neighborhood and all of a sudden you got a mortgage and then you got a and then you've got um, fancy cars and you know life. fancy cars and you got private schools and so on and so forth and so before you know it. You are making all this money, but you have to make it just to maintain the lifestyle that you have. And, um, and in the meantime, you may have a little bit of money that you're, uh, that you're quote unquote saving, but you're working so hard and you think, well, I don't know what to do with it. So let me hand this off to somebody who does the quote unquote financial advisor. But what they don't realize, particularly doctors, is that financial advisors don't take the Hippocratic Oath. <laughs> <laughs> Right. Right. And so there is a there is a level of trust uh, that that unfortunately, in particular with doctors have. And I want to say like immediate trust. Right. Like it's like I'm going to go to this financial advisor could so and so told me to and I'm just going to trust what they say. Right. And yeah. don't even and don't even educate themselves. But sorry, I yeah, interrupted and of you. Of course, <laughs> because the idea is, well, of course, they're going to try to help me. That's their job, mm -hmm. right? And that's mm -hmm. the perspective they're coming from. You come into a doctor's office. Well, of course, I'm going to try to help you. And I'm, I'm, I'm going to do everything I can to help you. I'm not going to try to screw you over. <laughs> you know? so, so I think there's a, there's a blind trust there. And I think that's, you know, that's what really is ultimately going to be the downfall of a lot of high-paid professionals. You know, I I, um, you know, I, it's so, this idea of high paid professionals dying, um, broke that, that kills me. You know, it's just looking at what they're doing, looking at the realities of the current economy, 
and the the paradigms that they they are led to believe and the people who are you know there wall street of course you know i like to say and i truly believe this they're not there to make you money they're there to take your money and they've proven that over and over again right right and I think you've hit on a few great little points in that little segment of, of high paid, you know, not just high paid individuals, but people who come into to new money and they then all of a sudden find themselves struggling to pay their mortgage if they're on six figures. And I know a couple of investors who are like that. Um, so talk to me about the, the education you provide on your show, because I know you have a show about educating people about real estate and, and just you know investing in general. And why is it so important to invest some time in education first before you go start investing? Well, I, I, the way I like to think about this and the way I try to explain it to, to, to professionals, highly skilled professionals, is this. Think about how much time you spent getting to where you are now to get the job or to get the, you know, to get the position that allowed you to make all this money. Now, why would you turn around and once you make that money, not think at all or have any you know, take any time to learn about where you're actually putting that money. It's, I see this, what particularly shocks me is when I see this in entrepreneurs, you know, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm an entrepreneur and I kind of consider myself, you know, that's my identity. I have, you know, I have four or five different businesses and my, pra you know, my practice is very limited these days. I'm really focused primarily on you know, investing and business, you know, startups and so on and so forth. And so I'm in a community with a lot of uh, entrepreneurs as well. And entrepreneurs that are making a lot of money. I mean, we're millions and millions of dollars. But, you know, even these people who have such extreme creativity when it comes to making money, as soon as they make it, okay, well, let's go to the financial advisor, <laughs> right? It's yep. mind boggling. Yep. Right. So if you have the capability to make that money, you all you got to do, you know, it's not this simple. And I, I mean, I, it's not, it's not this simple. It, it takes an effort, but you have to spend some time learning the language because at the end of the day, it's a language mm -hmm. and you have to, and you have to learn the culture and you have to, you have to align yourself with the right people. You know, I'm a big advocate on my show, uh, on, private investing, investing in real assets um, through private offerings. And, um, you know, one of my own personal investment philosophies is I frequently find myself investing in people rather than in things because I've, um, you know, I've made some mistakes too and, and things sound great and I've invested in them and they don't work out. And then I realize later, yeah, that, you know, looking back, you know, I didn't, I shouldn't have trusted that guy, right? So, so I believe in, so what the show is about is a education, trying to expose people to different types of things that they can invest in. I'm very particular about getting people on the show who I either know, like, and trust, or that I have a six degree separation from somebody else who knows, likes, and trusts this person. Um, I, you know, I don't, you know, I don't take, you know, they, they don't pay me for being on the show. But frequently what they do is, you know, they will be people who are offering, um, you know, they're offering various things that are opportunities. So what I like to do is expose people, you know, to those opportunities, even if they don't invest with them, 
they they at least know you know that there's a world outside of Wall Street, and that's really my goal. So a education, b okay, now you have an education, now you have a community, you have somebody who is actually sort of looking at people, you know, um, who has some experience looking at people and what they're doing and thinks of them enough to actually have them on the show. So now you've got, you know, people that you could potentially call yourself and talk and see if you might want to invest with them. So that's my goal. Um, and then, of course, you know, the other thing is just in general to have a community. I have an accredited investor list, um, you know, uh, at wealthformula.com you can sign up with, which is my own personal accredited investor community. And that's not just, you know, of course I do my own offerings, but you know, this is not intended to be, you know, just, uh, you know, a, a recruitment effort for my deals. It's, it's when I hear about deals with people I know, it gives me the opportunity to provide deal flow potentially to people who have an interest in it. Right. Well, Buck, you've actually covered so many awesome stuff in that little, little segment just there about education one. And I think I want to add to that because we are in a world of free education these days. And, and I will admit that even in the time that I've been in the United States, stuff is more readily available. Podcasts are available. Online content is is now where you would have had to have paid someone a lot of money, a guru or whatever it might be. There's a lot of ways you can educate yourself, pick up books, um, you know, jump on a podcast, as I said, subscribe to different newsletters to keep up to date on certain investing, uh, investing uh, trends and, and, and criteria. So I think it's very, very important to start with uh, education and, and everyone who's out there who's listening to take some time to educate yourself. The second point I really like that you said is investing in someone that you know. And, and I talk a lot about on this show about capital raising and, and how it's a struggle, but at the end of the day, you are a brand. And if you are, you know, you, if people people invest in you uh, first and foremost, and then the deal second. Uh, and I think you've obviously you've touched on that a little bit, and that's why you get people on your show that you you like and you trust. So um, that brings me to the next question. And and in, in, in wrapping this show up a little bit is what are the things you're investing in? You say you're you're an entrepreneur. You're, you're investing in real estate. You're investing in um, in minerals. What type of startups are you investing in these days? So I have two I, I have two startups that are medical businesses related to various types of treatment that I'm not personally involved uh, as a, a as a practitioner, but that that I believe there's a need and that there's um, um, some profit in. Um, I'm also, um, as I mentioned, you know, I'm an asset manager for you know multifamily and for uh, various other uh, investments. So that syndication is a business, um, and we'll continue to do that. The other thing is that I have um, I have an interest in assisted living, and so I'm looking at some assisted living development projects, particularly here in the Chicago metropolitan area. And so um, that should be really exciting. I think there's great opportunity there. Demographics are you know incredible, and um, and so those are those are um, you know those are just a handful of things on the business side. Nice. And I'm, we would, you and I need to touch offline a little bit about the assisted living of a couple of investors who may be interested uh, to connect with you. This show is all about, you know, educating international investors about the power of investing here in the United States. So are you working with any international investors right now? I don't have, I don't know that I have any, I don't think I have any international investors on my list right now. I mean, um, my show uh, has been pretty limited to American audiences, um, although I was on a show in the UK uh, a couple of weeks ago uh, with Pete Matthews, uh, 80% of his audience is in the UK. So, you know, I think, um, you know, I ha so I haven't. So um, that, that's the short answer. But. <laughs> 
but looking to grow, right? Everyone's looking to grow. Absolutely. I mean, I think, listen, here's the thing. When I think about investing in the U.S., you know, there's a lot of people who are really down on the U.S., right. you know, like it's this declining power. It's the fall of Rome and so on. <laughs> and so, I mean, it, to me, it's ridiculous. I mean, I, you know, there's a, a well-known well-known guy who his whole, um, and, and, you know, he's a smart guy, but, and I won't mention it, but his whole thing is about investing, you know, somewhere else and, 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 and trying to get your money away from the U S and to me, that's just ridiculous. It's ridiculous. This is the, um, listen, as a child of an, an immigrant, uh, I just have this special, you know, place in my heart for this country and understand this is the, you know, this is the place of opportunity, right? This is unlimited opportunity. It's a place where, where a guy like my dad can come, uh, you know, 50 years ago, uh, and broke and become a millionaire, right? I mean, there's unlimited opportunity. It's the biggest economy in the history of the world. If you don't trust, if, if the U S goes down, we're all screwed. <laughs> I, I I completely agree. That's why when I moved here five years ago, I saw the power of particularly U.S. real estate and the cash flowing assets, and said, "Hey, I've got to start a show about this because it's uh, I've got to educate some people about buying as international investors. Being an international investor myself, your dad was an international investor at one stage. You know, the show is all about educating people about how you break in and start. You know, cashing or you know getting getting a part of the getting a piece of the pie that is you know the U.S. cash flowing real estate in particular multifamily. So Buck, uh, with all your experience investing here in the United States, I know you're ready to give me your top five investing tips. You ready to dive into it? Yeah, it's it's funny. I actually just finished a draft of a book, so I'll give you the I'll give you a couple of chapters in that. So uh, okay, so this. You know, it'd be a little hokey too, because I'm a doctor. And um, so these are, you can remember these by uh, A Cure. Okay, A Cure. That's what it spells. So it's a cure for your financial woes, basically. So A, avoid the assumptions of the past, avoid the old paradigms. That's A. B, invest in things that cash flow. You got to look at cash flow first. You know, it's not an afterthought. You understand. Okay. If you don't understand an investment, don't invest in it. That's a personal rule for me. Listen, multifamily is really easy to understand. People have to have a roof over their head, right? That's easy to understand. But when somebody brings you this complicated financial product or they start talking in, in, in language that you don't understand, stay away from it. If you don't understand why you know, you own a stock in something that fluctuates 20%, 30% up and down in the, you know, for no reason at all, maybe you shouldn't invest in it, right? The next thing is real things. Of course, we've talked about that. You know, the example I like to give, even though it's not a cash flow thing, is, is you know, gold. Real things keep value and they create wealth. If you look at gold, in, in Roman times of Christ, Gold, an ounce of gold would buy you a fancy toga. Right. And an ounce of gold today will buy you a fancy suit. <laughs> right? It's Very real. true. It's real. Yeah. And I think fundamentally the last thing, which is E, so again, it's A cure, E for essentials. I'm a big believer that at least when until you can really sort of get grounded in the world of, uh, grounded in your financial world, 
that you really need to focus on the things that people need. And I, and I go back to, you know, Maslow's hierarchy of needs. What do we need first and foremost? Physiologic, you know, we need food. So I'm looking at farmland. I'm looking at, you know, I'm looking at places where they may have water rights. I mean, these are things that I'm actively looking for. I haven't found great things yet, but that's it. The next level is is security. And security, of course, just comes down to not only um, the obvious one here, of course, is multifamily or any kind of residential real estate. You know, we have to have roofs over our head. We have to have the essentials. And, and so um, the other thing for me personally in my businesses is, you know, healthcare, safety. Part of what safety is all about is you know, being personally safe and having access to healthcare. So that's why, um, and it's, you know, obviously it's an advantage that I have a physician background, but some of my medical businesses have nothing to do with things that I specialize in, you know? So, so to me, those are the fundamentals of uh, safe investing, a cure. Nice. Nice. One final question. I've always been asking my uh, guests on the show. I want to know the, the, uh, a mistake that you've made in your investing career that you've learned the most from? Because, you know, I can talk about success, I can talk about your success, but people want a takeaway piece of advice. And so what was that failure that you've had in your investing career to date? And what is what is the lessons learned? I mean, I've had so many, so many uh, mistakes. I could even start. <laughs> I, mean, I could write a whole book on mistakes. And, and but but you know, the the thing is that that's how you, you know, that's how you that's how you learn, right? I mean, you 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 don't, you know, it's like it's our natural way of learning. You have a kid, you know, who's you know, I've got a uh 19-month-old and she just learned to walk a few months ago and she didn't do it by reading a book, right? She just got up, she kept falling, and the next thing you know, she was walking, right? So that's the way we naturally learn. So so just to give you some examples, um, the first time I went and um, tried to invest in an apartment building, when I first started to make money, you know, I didn't take, um, you know, I didn't take a, a lot of advice from my dad because I looked at him, I'm like, hey, you're a landlord, I'm not a landlord, Okay. <laughs> The no classic, fa the classic father son. I know what I'm doing. Go away. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. isn't it remarkable? Yeah, but it's true. It is totally true. Uh, and so, you know, what I was, what I am good at, and one of the, what I was good at doing that, and too, was of course looking at a at a property and looking at uh, the financials and underwriting the deal. Okay, so I was underwriting some deals, and I look at this property, and it was well, it was you know, I mean, this is in 2010, and you know, cap rate was like 11. <laughs> wow. <laughs> you know, and and um, it was like 90, 95% occupied. And, you know, it was like a no-brainer. Yeah, I'll buy that. Sure, no problem. So I buy it and it ends up being, you know, it's a class D property and it was managed uh, by a the owner uh, who happened to own several buildings in the area. And as it turned out, uh, the whole thing was kind of a, um, a big facade. Um, this guy was having trouble with his building uh, and he was, uh, he was literally moving in people and, um, uh, or he was keeping people who were not paying rent, but then he was using, he was funneling money that was coming over from, that was coming from other buildings onto the financials of this particular building to make it look good so he could sell it. 
so so remarkably that you know all these great financial uh, financials that we were seeing were not real at all. They were actually you know they were all the books uh, were cooked and 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 um, you know it's it's stuffing the rent roll as they call it right. So that was a that was a big mistake. And so what do I learn from that? Well, first of all, there's some legal things you can learn from it. We won't get into that, but but <clears throat> the other thing is. You know, I think picking a property manager first, um, understanding uh, that, you know, a lot of times, and this is not a huge apartment building, I think it was maybe 14 units, but the bigger the asset, the harder it is to cook the books. So some people get into um, real estate investing and they think, well, listen, I'm not really, you know, I, I don't want to buy an apartment building, a big apartment building, or I don't want to invest in a 100 or 200 unit building alongside with, you know, guys like you and me, because that sounds risky. Let me just buy a single family home or let me just buy a four, you know, four unit building. But here's the problem is that the smaller the asset, the smaller the asset, the easier it is to fudge the financials. And so as a business guy, I know that, right? When you try to buy, you know, when you're looking at a mom and pop business, it's so hard to really understand what's going on. You don't know if there are, you know, critical pieces to this that, you know, where is this money really coming from? You know, who is really necessary? But when you get into larger assets and you invest in larger assets, you know, just because of it, it runs more like a business rather than a mom and pop shop, it becomes a lot safer. So that's one of the things that I think for me was a big lesson. That's that's awesome. That's incredible advice, and I think that's really really key to looking at the rent rolls, right? And looking at moving dates and what when those people moved in, because some pro, um, property managers just shove people in there to increase the occupancy to make it look better. But then you have the economic occupancy, which is what people are paying, and that may not necessarily line up with the uh, physical occupancy. So, Buck, last question is: Where can people reach you, mate, to continue the conversation? I'm sure a lot of people have a you know a lot of questions for you. You're an incredible guy. So, where can they hit you up at? Well, the website is wealthformula.com, and that's where you can go. Um, you can pick up, you know, you can listen to the podcast there. I'm not a big blogger. I don't write a lot. So, I mean, a lot of the blog posts on there are old, but but certainly you can uh, go there and there's resources there. You can sign up for my various lists like the, you know, as I mentioned, the accredited investor list. There's a lot of special reports on there and so on and so forth that I think are really worthwhile. And of course, there's, but my main platform is the podcast, which is Wealth Formula Podcast and Wealth Formula Podcast that, you know, obviously you can go there from that website, wealthformula.com, but you can also pick it up on iTunes, uh, Stitcher, just like everybody does with your show. Cool, man. All right. Well, look, thank you so much for dropping in. Have a great rest of your week. Enjoy the Thanksgiving holiday and we'll catch up soon. Thank you for having me. Well, there you have it. Another great episode jam-packed of some awesome investing advice and actionable steps. Buck really, really knows his stuff. Now, if you want any of the links that we mentioned on today's show, head over to my website at rsnpropertygroup.com. Remember to click on the podcast tab whilst you're there. Sign up for my newsletter. Sign up to be sign up for my new ebook if you want an ebook, which is the the, the art and science of raising capital like a pro, the four P rule. Uh, I've also got a mentorship program, guys. If you want my help and want my advice and started to buy 
buying apartment buildings. I'm now offering a mentorship program. There's a lot going on. Jump on my website at rsmpropertygroup.com. Check it out. If you want more specific information, you can also email me at info at rsnpropertygroup.com. Thanks again for taking some time out of your day to tune in to continue to grow your real estate investing knowledge because that's what we're all about here on this show, continuing to grow your financial IQ. You can follow me on Facebook and Twitter by searching Reed Goosens. That's R-E-E-D-G-O-O-S-S-E-N-S. Remember, if you do like this show, jump on iTunes, leave the show a five-star review, and in return, I will give you a copy of my new ebook, which is The Art and Science of Raising Capital Like a Pro, The 4P Rule. All right, guys, we're going to do this all again next week. So take care, be safe, and remember, happy investing. Thank you.